As we saw last lecture, modern literature and organizations has two ancestries. There's a Hughesian approach and an industrial approach. In this lecture, we turn our attention to the idea of bureaucracy and the notion of rationality. At the turn of the century, a sociologist named Max Weber began to study the new forms of organizations being developed for managing large numbers of people. Weber concluded that new large-scale organizations were similar in features. Each was a bureaucracy. Bureau is a desk or by extension an office. So bureaucracy can be seen as rule conducted from a desk or office, for instance, by the preparation and dispatch of written documents, or in today's times, their electronic equivalent. In the office are kept records of communications sent and received, the files or archives consulted in preparing new ones. This kind of rule is, of course, not found in the ancient classifications of kinds of government organizations, monarchy, aristocracy. In the Middle Ages, the most effective kings ruled from horseback. They traveled around the nation, armed, accompanied by armed individuals, and enforced their will. They were prepared, if necessary, to enforce their will on their armed companions by personal combat, though their prestige was such that this was seldom necessary. The king was accompanied also by clerks, clergy who could read and write, who took along a chest containing records and writing materials. The modern bureaucracy developed from this. Of course, in the modern context, the ruler does not have to fight in person or travel around very much. He or she rules by sending messages through a bureau. The messages are usually acted on mainly because of the institution's moral authority or prestige, a sort of a status phenomenon, but also because they can be backed by the threat of force, by a staff of police or soldiers. As Weber points out, armies have become bureaucratized. Napoleon had to watch his battle from the horseback, but a modern general receives and sends messages. Napoleon had a staff, officers who got galloped uh, with written messages. The modern army has a general staff. The Prussian general staff was at Weber's time regarded with pride, one of the key institutions of the German Empire. It was in Weber's terms a bureaucracy. Also, he points out, not only are government services, but also political parties, churches, educational institutions, and many other institutions have bureaucracies. That is, they all have a professional staff for keeping records and sending communications, which will be regarded, at least by other staff of the same institution, as authoritative directions. Bureaucracy is a pervasive feature of modern society, and it has an ever-growing importance. At least that's what Weber believed. Now today, many of us regard bureaucracy as a dirty word, suggesting red tape and efficiencies. As we will see, bureaucracies can develop these features, especially if authority is highly centralized. Weber's purpose, however, was to define the essential features of new organizations and to indicate why these organizations work so well than the traditional ones. Above all, Weber emphasized that bureaucratic organizations were an attempt to subdue human affairs to the rule of reason to make it possible to conduct the business of organizations according to, quote, calculable rules. For individuals who develop modern organizations, 
The purpose was to find rational solutions to the new problems of size Weber saw bureaucracy as the rational product of social engineering. He wrote, the decisive reason for the advance of bureaucratic organization has always been its purely technical superiority over any former organization. The fully developed bureaucratic mechanisms compares with other organizations exactly as does the machine with non-mechanical modes of production. Basically, Weber is setting out this sort of ideal type for bureaucracy, characterized by an elaborate hierarchical division of labor directed by explicit rules impersonally applied. The bureaucracy is staffed by full-time, lifetime professionals who do not in any sense own the means of administration, or their jobs, or the sources of their funds, and they live off a salary, not from income derived directly from the performance of their job. These are all features found in the public service. The modern bureaucrat does not own his or her job. In fact, some governments sold offices to raise money. This was true, for example, of judicial positions in 18th century France, of commissions in the army and navy in most European countries in the 19th century. The vested rights of office holders are an obstacle to reorganization, an impediment to efficiency, so they were bought out. Bureaucrats, again, do not own the means of administration. They do not own, in modern context, the computers, the furniture, the files. The modern bureaucrat is a full-time, lifetime professional. This requires a sufficient salary and job security since individuals will not stay in the job full-time for life. Unless they do, the organization will not be efficient. It takes time and experience to learn the job, not so much because it's a difficult sort of uh, performing that particular task, but rather it has to be coordinated. An elaborate division of labor requires stability of staff. Because of the nature of bureaucratic work, and also perhaps because of the importance of training and coordination in the job, the bureaucracy wants educated recruits. Their education will be attested by some form of a certification, partially just to prove they have been educated, but also perhaps because the bureaucracy likes to work with clear impersonal criteria. Weber speaks of credentialism, the preoccupation evident in modern societies with formal educational qualifications. So all these aspects, credentialism, fixed salary, tenure, stability of staffing, Weber incorporates this into his ideal type of a bureaucracy. They are all required, he believes, for the efficient functioning of an administrative machine. Another feature of the bureaucracy is the sort of impersonal application of general rules, both to the outsiders of the organizations it deals with and it's to its own staff. For instance, the taxation commissioner staff impersonally, objectively apply the rules to the taxpayer and their own duties and rights within the organization are defined by rules applied to them impersonally by their superiors. In Weber's mind, this is the most important feature of the bureaucracy. It underlies the features we've been commenting on up to this juncture. Bureaucrats do not own their equipment or their job and receive a fixed salary since these rules ensure reliable rule following.
Faber understands bureaucracy within three types of legitimate authority, rational, traditional, and charismatic. We will talk about these types of authorities in greater depth in our later lectures. But for our purposes at this stage, charismatic authority is regarded as legitimate and works because followers are personally devoted to a gifted leader, so to speak. Traditional authority is regarded as legitimate since everyone has always obeyed whoever is in the leader's position and no one thinks of disputing his or her authority. Rational authority is the rule of law. It exists in a community in which there is a moral attitude of respect for the law um, or because the law has been arrived at a way that is regarded as legitimate. Rulers are recognized and obeyed if they can show a warrant in the law. For Weber, bureaucracy obviously exists within such a framework. Even in the bureaucracy of a private firm, subordinates want to be assured that orders are properly authorized. Bureaucracy is the most efficient way of implementing the rule of law in organizations. The legal rules are recorded, studied, and applied in a carefully considered and reliable way to individual cases. We will discuss this idea of efficiency in a moment. For Weber, the term bureaucracy was inseparable from the term rationality. But what are these sort of features that develop to make bureaucracies rational? Well, the first we can articulate is a functional specialization. Weber's idea of functional specialization applies both to persons within an organization and to relations between larger units or divisions of the organization. Weber argues that specialization is essential to a rational bureaucracy, and the specific boundary separating one functional division from another must be fixed by explicit rules, regulations, and procedures. Another salient feature of the modern bureaucracy that makes it rational is a clear lines of hierarchical authority. For Weber, it was self-evident that coordinating the divisions of large organizations require clear lines of authority organized in a hierarchy. That means there are clear levels of greater authority. All employees in the organization must know who their boss is, and each individual should always respect the chain of command. That is, people should only give orders to their own subordinates and receive orders through their own immediate superior. In this way, the individuals at the top can be sure that directors arrive where they are meant to go and know where their responsibilities lie. Weber believed, believes in this idea of expert training of managers. So hierarchical authorities are required in bureaucracies so that highly trained experts um, can, can be properly used as managers. It does little good to train someone uh, to operate in an organization when the manager receives orders from someone whose training is in something completely the opposite of what that organization stands for. Rational bureaucracies can be operated, Weber argued, only by developing managers at all levels who have been selected and trained for their specific jobs. Individuals ticketed for top positions in bureaucracy should be rotated through many divisions of an organization to gain first-hand experience of the many issues and problems that their future subordinates might face. The fourth feature that makes modern bureaucracies rational is this idea that decision-making based on rules to guarantee the effective pursuit of organizational goals. 
Weber stressed that rational bureaucracies must be managed in accordance to carefully developed rules and principles that can be learned and applied, and that transactions and decisions must be recorded so that rules uh, can be reviewed. Only with such rules and principles can the activities of hundreds of managers at different levels in the organization be predicted and coordinated. If we cannot predict what others will do, then we cannot count on them. Weber sees bureaucracy as the most supremely efficient way of conducting administration. This is why it's been adopted by every institution and governmental agency. An institution served by bureaucracy will outperform its competitors, and crucially, it will prevail in the struggle for survival. Effectively, we see bureaucracy has spread globally and continues to spread in governmental agencies because of its survival value. As Weber writes, when those subject to bureaucratic control seek to escape the influence of the existing bureaucratic apparatus, this is normally possible only by creating an organization of their own, which is equally subject to the process of bureaucratization. Bureaucracy is in fact a division of labor applied to administration. For Weber, this specific type of division of labor is more fundamental than others because it initiates and orders other divisions of labor. Now, although Weber regards bureaucracy as a supremely efficient, he regards this inevitable triumph with distaste. Society is formally rational when things are organized to maximize the attainment of individuals' goals, whatever they are. But it may be formally rational without being substantively rational. This is because organizations is inimical to values rationally paramount over the goals they actually serve. One of these values is personal freedom to which bureaucracy is inimical. Weber writes, the quality which best guarantees promotion in a bureaucracy is a measure of pliancy towards the apparatus of convenience for a superior. Weber does not believe that there is no point in resisting the inevitable. If a bureaucrat, if a bureaucrat in particular superior, gives him or her a directive he or she considers wrong, they should object. But if the superior insists it is his duty, and even his honor to carry it out as if, as if it corresponds to his innermost conviction. For Weber, a genuine leader would be readily accept the responsibility for morally dubious action, since the different parts of our value systems are irreconcilably in conflict with each other. Max Weber has outlined the key characteristics of a bureaucracy. There's a number one, we can say there's a specification of jobs with detailed rights, obligations, responsibilities, and scope of authority. Number two, we can suggest that there's a system of supervision and subordination. Number three, we can suggest there's a unity of command. A fourth characteristic of the bureaucracy is the extensive use of written documents. A fifth characteristic would be training in job requirements and skills. A sixth characteristic of the bureaucracy Weber outlines is the application of consistent and complete rules. Finally, another key characteristic of a bureaucracy is that it assigns work and hires personnel based on competence and experience. Today, while many of these principles seem obvious and commonplace, we must remember that they're all inventions. 
organizations and institutions do not always have these features. Today, we also think of bureaucracies as inefficient, slow, and generally bad. In Weber's time, they were seen as marvelous sort of machines that reliably uh, accomplish their goals. And in fact, bureaucracies did become enormously successful, easily outcompeting other organizational forms. They also did much to introduce concepts of fairness and equality of opportunity, having a profound effect on the social structure of institutions and society at large. In fact, for a long time, Weber's rational bureaucracy model dominated social science thinking about large modern, modern sort of governments. If organizations did not operate quite as Weber had said, a bureaucracy should, then the solution was to bring them in line with the ideal bureaucratic procedures. By World War II, we see there's sharp criticism of Weber's ideas beginning to surface. Theorists began to argue that Weber had ignored much of what really went on in organizations, the conflicts, the cliques, and the sidestepping of rules on the chain of command. The problem lay in the fact that bureaucracies were not and could not be like machines because they consisted of human beings. In the final analysis, people will not imitate machines. This is not to say that in present day time, bureaucracies are not better for some tasks than others. And this becomes evident in conversations about post-bureaucracy. In particular, bureaucracies are not well suited to organizations in which technological changes rapidly or is not well understood. Bureaucracies excel at businesses and institutions involving routine tasks that can be well specified in writing and do not change quickly. This concludes our conversation on bureaucracy and Weber's sort of theorization of the ideas of bureaucracy. In our next lecture, we'll turn to something that's related. Uh, we're looking at this idea of scientific management and we'll look at these sorts of principles and approaches that Taylor introduces.